Let's do that hockey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 108 of Dauber Prospects Radio. I'm your host, Peter Harling, and this episode is the Carolina Hurricanes Top 10 Prospects. And just like the last one with Calgary, this one's going to probably go about 20 players deep, too. Uh, if you want to catch the article, you uh, link it in the show notes, but you can find it on uh, NHLRumors.com. Um, and on this one, I had a, a difficult time, again, narrowing it down to 10. Uh, Caroline has just got a really great, deep prospect pool. Maybe not a lot of A-plus prospects, but it's just really, really flush with potential and guys who I had a hard time keeping out of the top 10 for this organization. So I've gone ahead and recruited myself a Carolina Hurricanes prospects expert. Uh, you might know him on Twitter from Canes Prospects. Uh, his name's Matt Soma, and he also writes for SB Nation. And he is uh, a host or a co-host for the Tracking the Storm podcast, which appropriately enough focuses on Carolina Hurricanes. So I brought in a heavy hitter for this one. Matt, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to basically talk about, you know, every single prospect in the Kane system, right? <laughs> That's where this might end up going. Yeah. Uh, so like I said, they've, they've got a, a pretty deep pool. Um, and for these episodes, what I kind of like to do is just, just sort of start with a, an organizational overview of what they're drafting and developing and their overall prospect pool and philosophies might be like. So when for me, the first thing I think of when I think about Carolina Hurricanes prospects is in the last decade or so, or even longer, they have recommitted to building from within and pretty much since the lockout, the 05 lockout. Uh, I think they do a really, really great job of scouting players. They, they pick players from all over the world. They don't just hone in on on one league. Um and they don't rush their players into the NHL. I think Ron Francis had a very large amount to do with that. And I didn't think that he deserved to get uh, fired when he was. I thought he, that Carolina was just turning the page. Um, I, I'm not sure if, if he was still preaching patience and the slow burn and the ownership was like, no, nah, no, nah, we're good. We're win now. Make some trades, sell the farm, get some good players. And he was not having it or, or what have you. Uh, but I get a lot of the credit to this organization for uh, to where they are, to Ron Francis. And I think they have uh, a problem where if they want to, their biggest problem is going to be not development, but asset management, because they only you can only have 50 contracts and they've got so many good prospects that, you know, you've got guys who are uh, unsigned in the minors and the NCAA are going to demand contracts. And I think we've already started to see some of that impact where they have been sort of purging uh, players uh, last season, they made a couple multiple prospects for players kind of deals. And I think that has a lot to do with it. And despite the fact that they're, that they're purging players, you know, they've, they've recently given up on not given up on, but moved on from players like Jake Bean, Alex Ndelkovich, Morgan Geeky, Lucas Walmark, uh, and a whole bunch more. Uh, and I think that might be part and parcel to it. And despite the fact that they've given up a lot of prospects, I, we still got 20 guys to talk about. Um, so just kind of give me your, your thoughts on some of that, Matt, and where you see this team at. Yeah. So first of all, I agree. Ron Francis definitely changed the way the team approaches, not only just the draft, but development in general. 
a lot of the Hurricanes prospects that made it from the, especially the late Rutherford years, um, they just, they were in the NHL immediately. I mean, Justin Falk was in the NHL, I believe, almost a year after his draft, if I'm not mistaken. Jeff Skinner was in right away. And you just don't have any consistency with your development. A lot of your top prospects ended up fizzling out. With Ron Francis, um, he comes in, he puts a focus on drafting and development. Like you said, the slow burn. And right now we're seeing a lot of his guys either make the NHL for the Hurricanes or get traded in those player-for-player deals and play NHL games elsewhere. Look at like guys like Yanni Kuokkanen, for example, signed a new contract with New Jersey because he could be a decent forward for their team. So I think the hurricane strategy just is right now. It's, it's a little different from Francis. Ron Francis picked a lot of guys that were safe bets guys with, you know, pretty high floors. So guys that were pretty likely to make the NHL, but they didn't have the highest upsides. You're looking at a lot of guys that projected as third line players. And in recent years, now that the hurricanes have a more established pipeline and NHL team, they can afford to take a bit of risk. We saw it with them taking Noel Gundler back in uh, 2020. We've seen it with, you know, them taking Anthony Honka, who was probably the most polarizing player um, back in 2019. And they can afford to do that now because they have so much depth at every position, pretty much everywhere in the system. Yeah, I, I agree. They are starting to uh, to take some swings on guys, uh, not too early in the drafts. I think they're still utilizing their their first pick on more of a more of a safe a safe bet, and that is a really good strategy. Um, but it's nice when you have the luxury that you can afford to take a swing on a guy in the you know the third or maybe fourth or later rounds. And if they flame out, you didn't really lose a lot of capital on rolling the dice on that. And if they hit, then man, you look like a genius. All right, so let's talk about some of the players. Uh, the first ranked guy that I had on my list was um, Seth Jarvis, and he's number one, and it's it's not even close. It's Jarvis with a with a bullet. So he started out last season in the American Hockey League, waiting for the dub to get back going again, and he lit it up. He was great. He had uh, twenty seven points. No, that was the WHL. Uh, anyways, I forget how many points he had, but it was like a point of game pace. And then he went back to the WHL and, and had a point of game pace there as well. Um, he's got another year of junior eligibility left and I don't think he played 20 games in the American hockey league last year. So I'm pretty sure he's destined either for back to the dub or he's going to have to make the canes. And based on what we just said and how the canes like to slow cook and, and not rush their players into leagues that they're not prepared for. I think the best move for him is to go back to the WHL and dominate for another year, play for team Canada at the world junior again, try and get a gold medal there. Uh, do you think there's any chance he makes the team or do you see him going back to, um, to the WHL? Uh, it's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, he had an incredible showing at the uh, prospect showcase down in Tampa where no matter who we were up against, whether it was, you know, I'll take Nashville, for example, their top prospect, one of them, at least Philip Tomasino Jarvis was at least a step or two above Tomasino and the way he was playing and just the way he was able to dominate. And we haven't seen him practice too much in training camp because he's been hurt with a little something, but um, he is in the lineup for a preseason game. I'm excited to see how that is because, 
the way Jarvis plays makes me think that he could at least get a couple games this year before heading back to the WHL. Um, he's just such a game changer as soon as he steps on the ice. And there are very few players as good as he is at, you know, age 19. So there's a chance. I think the hurricanes have guys that are more prepared, but I mean, we saw last year, Jarvis is a pro and it's kind of a shame that he's heading back to the WHL this year because he's proven that he's ready. Right. Well, they're at 49 of 50 contracts. And if they send him down, he can, he can slide. So that won't count as one of their, their 50 against it. Um, If he was to make the team, I mean, they've got 13 roster forwards under contract. The only player on, on the active roster that's um, that's capable of not having to go through waivers is Martin Nickash. I don't see him going down. Um, Maybe he could bump Josh Levo or Steve Lorenz. Um, maybe if, you know, the, the, uh, hourglasses run dry on someone like, uh, Derek Stepan, then, you know, maybe, you know, he's only 1.35 million. Maybe he could bump him out of a roster spot, but it just seems to me that it makes more sense to let him continue developing in the minors, um, slide his contract one more season and, you know, let, uh, they got one, two, three, four, five, seven, they got like eight or nine contracts expiring after this season on their forward roster either UFAs or RFAs. So there should be a roster spot available for him next year, nice and easy. And, you know, if he doesn't make the the NHL, then you can just let him develop at the American Hockey League next year too. Um, Regardless, I think he is, anyway, their their very best prospect. And I think you'll end up playing inside their top top six. And uh, I like his fantasy upside too. I think he's he's got... uh, top six potential uh someone who you can play at the top of your your roster do you see him long-term making that kind of impact as well yeah i see him as a 60 70 point guy with the right line mates yeah not a lot of peripheral stats gonna come from him besides um you know if he plays center maybe some face-off wins but he's 510 175 so he's, he shouldn't be throwing his weight around whatever weight he has not gonna get you a lot of penalty minutes um you know maybe some power play points but you know none of the other counting stats outside of offensively i will say he might get some shorthanded points because he does he he's pretty good defensively and he does play on the penalty kill i think he had something like three or four shorthanded goals last year in the whl in a short span so he he can play penalty kill so there is a little more upside there uh, yeah, it's hard to count on shorthanded goals though, uh, in your hockey pool, but Hey man, if, if he can throw them up there and you, you know, one shorthanded goal a week will pretty much win you that category. If you're in a categories league that counts those, uh, next on my list is Ryan Suzuki. Um, he started last season, I believe it was with Canada at the world juniors waiting for the OHL to, to come back. It never did. So after the world juniors, uh, he made his way to the American Hockey League and uh, played on a line with um, Jameson Rees, who we'll talk about in a minute as well. And yeah, he looked pretty good in a limited role. Uh, this is something that we should talk about too. So last season, the Carolina Hurricanes moved their AHL affiliate from Charlotte to Chicago. And because of the pandemic, not all of the American Hockey League teams were active 
So a couple of organizations had to share affiliation and Carolina was one of those teams that shared an affiliation with Nashville Predators prospects. So I found it really interesting in doing my research for this, that there were a couple of players who, you know, for this organization played in their American hockey league team, but maybe not in the same sort of role that they would have had if they weren't sharing affiliation with another team's prospects. And, you know, someone like Philip Tomasino getting top six minutes. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Like, did it take away ice time from, from their prospects? Did it kind of maybe hurt some of their development? I, I wasn't a fan of it. I understand that it kind of needed to happen. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're looking at a guy like Ryan Suzuki getting mostly bottom six minutes when he could have been maybe not a consistent second line forward in the AHL, but at least more of a third line player. But at the same time, I think it forced Suzuki almost to get a little bit of an edge and forced him to realize that he needs to play better around the perimeter. Like he, he's a very much, or he very much was a perimeter player when he was drafted, right? Content with staying along the outside. And now he's, I would even say that he's a little gritty. Um, so there's pros and cons. Guys like Jamison Reese were able to still showcase why they can be a pro player. I think that I didn't get to see guys like David Cotton, Stelio Matheos enough, um, but it's just the nature of last year, and I don't think anybody really got enough playing time, right? Yeah, it was uh, uncharted territory for for a lot of people and reasons. Um, yeah, I think... I think he definitely needs to improve his physical side of his game playing in the OHL. I watched him play and while he, he wasn't shy about being physical or, or going into some of the, the dirty areas. I, I found that he didn't really need to because he was advanced at that level, the way he sees and thinks the game uh, and the way he can be deceptive, uh, his anticipation and his speed he didn't need to find himself in those situations, but as he moves up the food chain and gets into the American hockey league and the NHL, he'll, you know, he won't have that distinct advantage that he had over his, his peers in the OHL. So I think he's going to be forced to make some adjustments to his game. And I think uh, being stronger on the puck uh, and puck retrievals and puck protection will, will be a big part of uh, how far up the depth chart he can play. So that's my top two, Jarvis and Suzuki. So far, so good there. Any uh, any thoughts on that, Matt? No, those are my top two as well. Um, I mean, the first their first round picks back-to-back years. And I mean, as of right now, they're the two players that I think have the highest upside in the system. Yeah. So the number third guy I had ranked wasn't my initial number three pick until I did a little bit more research and thinking into it. Uh, maybe it's because he's coming out of uh, the United States and I don't get to see him as much there, but I got Jack Drury at number three and uh, he's playing in the NCAA for Harvard uh, two seasons, 63 points in 60 games. So over a point a game player there. And this is a player that in his draft year he was drawing comparisons to his uncle, uh, Chris Drury and, you know, dubbed as a two way sort of player, very good defensively with offensive upside, which doesn't really scream exciting to me. Um, and this is a fantasy prospects podcast. So, you know, that 
sort of two-way role usually means that they're going to be on the, the, the bottom six and, you know, it just kind of loses its sexy fantasy appeal. So last year, Ivy League was, uh, was a no-go. So he had nowhere to play. So rather than playing in the American Hockey League as a 21-year-old, he found himself playing over in the SHL, um, where he won a championship with his team. So he helped lead them to a championship. He had uh, uh, 30 points in 41 games, which and he was runner-up to Rookie of the Year to William Eklund. And uh, won a bronze medal with Team USA at the World Championship. So he had a gangbusters of the season you know he played pro hockey was a a prolific scorer at that level in the shl which isn't really known for a lot of high root and tootin offense uh played against nhl players at the world championship uh two goals in nine games there they won a bronze medal um obviously he won't be going back to college he played pro last year so uh the the odds on money would be, I guess, that he's going back to the uh, going to the American Hockey League to play with Chicago. But how's he looked in the in the preseason and at their rookie camp? So we had one game in the preseason so far where he and Jamison Reese on a line stole the show. And this is a game where, you know, Tavo Teravine and, and Jesperi Kotkaniemi had two points. And yet nobody's talking about that. Everybody's talking about how great Jack Drury looked. And I totally agree. Drury isn't going to get you a ton of value offensively. He's not going to be, I mean, unless you're in a league that counts face-offs, right? Um, there there's, isn't a ton, but he's going to be a reliable third-line player. I've kind of given him the unofficial nickname of like Diet Jordan Stahl. Um, very much the <laughs> same. Yeah, he, he's exactly the same player, that character guy that's going to fill in on your third line and be a great two-way presence, right? But you're not going to get a ton of offense out of him, which is, which is fine. There's a role for that. But I absolutely think he's the most NHL-ready out of our guys, given how he plays. It fits Rod Brindamore's system to a T. And as we've seen from a Hurricane standpoint the past couple of years, you have to be able to fit his system in order to play. And if you don't play defense, you're not going to crack the roster. We've seen it with guys like Julian Gauthier, for example. We've seen it with a couple other prospects, not Morgan Geeky, but guys like Valentin Zikov, for instance. Players that you know might have had the high-end skill but couldn't play defense, so they just couldn't crack it. So I like Drury. I think that he has a chance of at least playing games this year, but probably starts in the AHL. Yeah. I think his NHL certainty is very high. He's very close. Um, I think his offensive ceiling is, is limited, but his floor is, is very high as well. You mentioned Jameson Rees a second ago. I have him fourth as well. So that rounds out my top four Jarvis Suzuki, Drury and Reese. So Reese is coming from the OHL. He played a lot with uh, Sarnia there, I think. And, um, what I like about this guy is, is he's got great offensive uh, abilities. He's a pretty good skater. He plays with a little jam. So you talk about multi-category guys. I think Reese is a guy that will not dominate any category, but I think he'll fill quite a few of them for you. Uh, he played in Chicago last season on a line with Suzuki, like I mentioned. 
And I'm not going to pretend that I watch these games, but I've read a lot of reports on them. And it's, you know, I'm hearing a lot of people say he outperformed Suzuki, um, which really made me question, should I have him below Suzuki on this list? Um, I had a hard time moving him ahead of, of Drury and Suzuki, even though I think he might outperform Drury offensively at the NHL level. I just think there's a little bit more risk with Rees. Uh, and we talked earlier about how Carolina likes to slow cook their prospects. I think they've been showing a lot of patience with Rees, and I think he's a really under-the-radar prospect. I mean, there might not be a lot of people out there who have ever heard of Jamison Rees, but I got him inside my top five of their overall prospects, and they've got a pretty deep prospect pool. So obviously, I think pretty highly on this guy. Uh, are you guys uh, a big fan of him as well? I love Rees. I think that he's exactly the type of player that the Hurricanes don't have on their roster, and that's an agitator. Um, I, I, I think when you, when you hear agitator, you know, your first instinct is Brad Marchand, but a lot of people, you know, I think Nazem Kadri is a great example of a player that Reese could become where he's going to be, you know, middle six guy, maybe capable of 40, 50 points. He's going to get under your skin every time he steps on the ice. The discipline's always going to be an issue because, you know, he does kind of toe the line. And I think the reason why he outperformed Suzuki this past year is because his game is more suited for the pros. He's gritty. And, man, I, I don't know. I could talk about Jamison Reese for forever. I just think he's such a treat to watch. He was so fun in the AHL last year just because – he could be more of himself without having to worry about towing the line as much. He's got a lot of Charlie hustle in his game too. He's just tenacious out there. And I, you know, I, that's an, that's a quality that I, I love and I find very endearing. Uh, number six on my list. So I've had all forwards so far. That's my top four actually. So we're going to go number five. We haven't talked about five yet. And that's a defenseman. I got 22 year old Joey Keane. So he's a New York Rangers 2018 third round draft pick. And he was acquired in a trade for Julian Goche, another high draft pick from uh, uh, Carolina. Um, I like this trade for both teams. I like both these prospects, Um, but I think it was a good example of asset management where, um, you know, Carolina's got a lot of good forward prospects, but Maybe a little thin on D. There's only one other defenseman that made my top 10. So they were able to, to trade a forward and get a D. And I think, you know, it worked out well for the New York Rangers as well in the same token. So Keen is now 22 years old. Uh, he'll be in the American Hockey League again one more season, I believe. He's kind of a veteran down there already. He's got 82 games under his belt, 50 points uh, in that time. Um, you know, the fact that they moved... Jake Bean, I think, speaks volumes to their faith in Joey Keane. Um, I don't think that he's going to make the team now because they signed uh, Anthony D'Angelo, but um, that's like having a piece of lit dynamite in your hand. It could go off any second and they could regret it sorely, which would open the door for Joey Keane to step in and you know do his uh, best impression of Adam Fox. Um, what do you think of Joey Keane? I like Joey Keane. Um, I think his best asset right now is his mobility in the fact that he, he plays with a ton of pace, his skating stride as a whole has gotten a lot cleaner, which allows for him to be 
at a high pace consistently. And I think that he could get second power play unit time, not this season, obviously, because the Hurricanes have, I think, seven NHL defensemen on the roster, but definitely within the next couple of years because he has all the skill. I think he just needs a full AHL season to kind of hone in on a few little kinks in his game. Yeah, they do have seven, um, and they got four of them are expiring contracts with Ian Cole and Brendan Smith as unrestricted free agents. Um, Ian Cole's 32, Brendan Smith's 32. I think both those guys would probably not be missed if they weren't re-signed. Um, and then, of course, Anthony D'Angelo is um, a total wild card. He could play five games for the Carolina and then get fired. So who knows what's going on there? Um, yeah, next year seems like a, a pretty good opportunity for him, uh, more so than, than now, but, uh, Hey, if he plays his way up out of the American hockey league, I don't think it would be too difficult for Carolina to, uh, to find room for him on their roster. Uh, number six on my list is we're going German here. I got Dominic Bach at number six. So this is really where I had the top five were pretty easy decisions. Um, there's no way any of those guys were going to not be in my top 10. But from here on out, I mean, I reorganized the bottom five on this list several times, adding guys, subtracting guys, moving guys up, moving guys down. Um, it was a real struggle. So you could talk me out of Dominic Bach in the top 10 in favor of someone like David Cotton, um, or you can convince me that I have him right where he be- um, belongs. He started last year after developing a couple seasons in Sweden. He, you know, he started last year back there too, and it was a disaster. And then when the American Hockey League resumed, he came over and boop, Bob's your uncle at 18 points in 29 games with the Wolves on a team that's sharing an affiliation with another NHL team. Um, big winger, 6'2", not really a power forward though, but you know, more of a skilled, he's strong on the puck. He's got great soft hands um, and he's just a dangerous scorer. I like his ability and and desire to score from from anywhere this is a guy that likes to score goals and that's a commodity that's sought after at the nhl level would you have bach at this place or do i have him a little bit maybe too high i don't know (laughs) bach is one of those players that i really struggle with right um on one hand you know how good he is or how good he can be right this is one player with i mean the sky's the limit as far as upside goes with the skill he has, whether it's with the puck without it. And with the, you know, his shot, he has a chance, right? Everything else seems to be pretty raw. Um, I think with the right coaching and the right amount of development, bot could be a star. It's just going to take a lot longer than it would your normal first round pick. I think, um, What I've seen from Bach, especially coming into this season, is that when the puck's not on his stick, he's invisible. And so that's that's what that's what I struggle with, because he was still a really good player, especially in transition at the prospects tournament and in the first preseason game. It's just. Everything else, you you really didn't notice him. And as a forward that's labeled as a skill guy that kind of throws up a little red flag, you know, so. You're not wrong because skill-wise, he absolutely, he could even be top five, all things considered. But given the uncertainty, there's still a big question mark surrounding wherever I would put him. 
Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, if you don't have the puck on your stick and you're not contributing, what uh, what are you bringing? And if as you move up the levels and go in the American Hockey League or the NHL, and you know you got the puck on your stick a lot less, that means you're a lot less valuable. You bring a lot less to the team as well, and then you would maybe get overlooked for players like um, Jack Drury, who is great without the puck on his stick. Um, but it's my list. I got him at six. I'm happy with that. Uh, going to another position now, I got uh, back-to-back goalies here. And I, I thought about putting this up to a Twitter poll. Who's the Carolina Hurricanes' top-ranked goalie? Is it uh, Petr Kochkov or is it Jack LaFontaine? Um, I flip-flopped back and forth on this one. At first, it was, you know, yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's it's Kochkov. Um, then I looked a little bit closer at LaFontaine. I'm like, hold the phone. It's LaFontaine. And then I went back and then I went back and then I went back and back and back. Um, split, splitting hairs here, but I got uh, Peter Kochkov at, at seven. Um, the draft pedigree isn't that big of a difference between the two of them. Kochkov has been playing in the KHL for the last couple of seasons now, which, you know, which is impressive for a 22 year old. Um, but he hasn't really looked great there. And he's on his third team, I believe, in that league in like two years. So that's kind of concerning, too. It just doesn't seem like there's been the same kind of development from him that, I, that I'd that i like to see uh, in someone who has the tag of future starting goalie. Um, convince me I'm right with having him at number seven or tell me how wrong I am. I can talk about both since they're back to back if you want. Yeah. Um. I was talking with somebody the other day, you know how like younger players in Russia get two to three minutes of ice time a game at the KHL level sometimes. Yep. That's what I feel is the case is that Kachikov hasn't been set up for success with whether it was locomotive early on after he was drafted or uh, Vityaz, I think is how you pronounce it. And finally this year, Torpedo, congratulations to them. They're the first out of three teams to figure out that if you give a goalie starts, he's going to improve and get better results as the season goes along. So first two games for Kachikov weren't good, and then the last two games I was actually able to catch some of them. He's looking confident, and he's looking like the type of goalie that the Canes drafted him to be. I think both goalies in Kachikov and LaFontaine have starter potential. LaFontaine's a player that I totally wrote off, uh, I think, two, three years ago after he went back to uh, the BCHL. I thought, you know, his career's done. He comes to, or to Minnesota, and all of a sudden, you know, he's the Mike Richter Award winner. Um, definitely, I think Kachikov has higher, has a higher ceiling, definitely more of like a franchise goalie as opposed to LaFontaine, who could be a very good if not starter than like a one B type player, but LaFontaine is more NHL ready right now. I think after he signs or assuming he signs, I guess I have no idea. Um, after this season, he could see NHL starts. Um, so I think upside wise, I would put Kachikov ahead, but you can't go wrong with putting them in either position. I, I, I flip flop them too, but I always like to go upside in the hopes that, you know, they pan out. Yeah. What did you think of LaFontaine's decision to return for a fifth season of NCAA? So he had two with whoever he played with um, 
before University of Minnesota. I'm top of my head. I forget. Then he had like a gap year where he transferred schools. Now he's going into his third season with the Golden Gophers uh, and his fifth in the league as an exception from, you know, the whole COVID thing, because you can play a fifth year without, you know, well, not without penalty, like as an exception, you can go back and play a fifth season, I guess, as an overager, kind of the CHL equivalent. Um, And that's what he's decided to do. But I mean, this is a guy that's got NHL starting upside. Um, I thought it was very curious that he didn't want to start his pro career after he's played out his college eligibility. Um, Usually the players that go back for an extra year are guys that don't have the option of signing a contract. Does that mean that Carolina wasn't interested in signing him a contract. Um, if that were the case, then he would have become an unrestricted free agent. Um, and does that mean that no one would have signed him? I highly doubt that. So I, this the whole decision to go back and play another year of college hockey uh, at 23 years old is kind of a head-scratcher for me. It was for me too. I'm not going to lie because he was getting a ton like prospects don't usually get any hype on the local broadcast here because, you know, Raleigh is still a very casual market. We've got a very loyal fan base and a very dedicated one, but we're still, we still have a lot of casual fans. Right. So I was shocked when LaFontaine was getting all this press on the broadcast. So I was like, man, he's going to sign, right? He doesn't. And I'm confused, but then I look and see the goalie situation the hurricanes have this year. And under contract, they've got three goalies in the AHL and Alex Lyon, Beck Warm, Nitu Makinyemi. And then there's Dylan Wells, who's on an AHL deal with Chicago, who's played in the AHL before too. So I don't necessarily blame LaFontaine for wanting another year to maybe let things kind of thin out, I guess. You know, let, let the Hurricanes move on from Warm and Lyon in the offseason or something. Or... <sighs> It still is strange, and I think he'd be better off playing professional minutes. But at the end of the day, I mean, if I'm chasing a national championship, I can think of worse teams than that Minnesota roster this year. I mean, they're chock full of talent. Yeah, I think there's two reasons why I gave the edge to Koshkov over LaFontaine. One is his decision to go back to NCAA. Uh, I'm not sure if that should really be a strike against him because right off the top, we were talking about not rushing players and letting them develop at lower levels. And if you've got a guy that's quite content to do that, um, then let him let him go down there and, and dominate and compete for a championship or a title and, and win some accolades and awards and then sign him to a contract and have him come into the you know training camp walking pretty tall in his shoes thinking, you know, he's earned the right to be there. Um but I do also watch some Big Ten Network games, and I've seen him play a couple of times. And I think there's some holes in his game. You know, he's a nice, big, tall goalie, but I'm just not not sure I see that translating um, to the same degree at the pro level as it has uh, at the college level. I mean, his 1.79 goals against average with a 22-7-0 record looks great on paper, one of them an award and a nomination for the Hobie Baker, but, you know, just watching him play, I'm not a goalie scout or expert, but there was just something about him where I was like, mm, he's good, but I don't know. Um, so he's that, not super athletic, I think is what it is. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Cause he's he not, he's just fills the net nicely and he plays his angles really well, but um, I don't, I don't see, he doesn't move very well. So if he can yeah. refine his game and play like carry price, where he doesn't need to move. He's just 
never out of position. Um, ben, Bob's your uncle. He'll be great. Yeah, I think I think that I think that's exactly why. Um, you know, he it might not translate is because if he does if he's not immediately in front of the puck, then especially at a faster paced league, that might kind of put him behind. I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, okay, so moving on from those two goalies, uh, that rounds out my top eight. At number nine, I've got their their first pick from last year's draft. Uh, they didn't have a first-round pick, so maybe that's why I didn't have one sooner. But that's defenseman Scott Morrow. Uh, so he's coming out of high school, Shattuck St. Mary's USHS prep school, where, um, you know, he looked pretty good there. <laughs> But uh, as a as a defenseman playing at at that level, it's it's pretty easy to look good there. Um, what was his offensive totals? There was something ridiculous. Yeah, I can they pull were them up real quick. They were gaudy. He was scoring at like a goal of a game kind of pace. I think it was. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what he does um, at the NCAA level. He's committed to UMass. Um, yeah, I, I, do you have a, a, a large opinion about him? Has, have you seen him in their in their development camp? How do you look? So we didn't have a in-person development camp over the summer, which was a big bummer um, just because COVID and everything. Um, they did it all virtually after the draft. Um, and since he's already in school, uh, he wasn't able to attend prospects camp. Bummer. So the only real viewing I've had of him since the draft was the summer showcase for the world juniors. And I thought he was fine. I think he's, I think his transition game right now is the best. I mean, he's one of the most confident players with the puck on his stick that I've seen at his age. As a defenseman, I don't think you could find a player willing to go coast to coast and do the things that Morrow can. He's just a great skater and there, there's a lot of stuff to like about him, but there are also a ton of holes in his game that do worry me, especially when he gets to the next level, which is the NCAA. He's not overly physical. And this is a league that is a lot more physical than high school hockey. I mean, it's a lot more everything than high school hockey. Let's be honest. You know, I think I had Morrow, I think, eighth um, in the rankings that I personally did after the draft. And I could have ranked him as low as I think 12th is what I considered him just because, again, a lot of question marks with his game. But if we're going off of Morrow's upside, I mean, this is a guy that had 48 points in 30 high school games last year, right? Yeah, but that's like being the leading scorer on your younger brother's team. Right. Yeah. I mean offensively he's got it he there's I don't think there's a single person questioning his offensive skills it's just everybody's kind of questioning everything else and (laughs) and that's fair you know the a player can skate and they can be really good offensively but we've mentioned Jake Bean before this or before this if they don't have anything else then they might not work out. And I mean, there's still a chance that Jake Bean works out, but I, I can tell you that after his performance this past year, I was shocked. We got a second round pick for him. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was, I have Scott Morrow at ninth and, um, you know, I, I really struggled with keeping him in, in the top 10. Um, 
he's their top draft pick coming out of the last draft. So that carries a lot of weight. And, you know, I have a lot of confidence in Carolina's scouting staff and this fact that he only played uh, in the, in the high school hockey minus six playoff games in the USHL where he was pointless. Uh, they, they saw enough. They were convinced he's uh, he's worth the risk. So I'm basically put him in my top 10 on good faith with Carolina's scouting staff. Cause they know what they're talking about. Uh, so that brings me to my final pick in the top 10. And, you know, as, as shaky as I was on Moro, you know, I was shaky on who goes ahead, Koshkov or Lafontaine. I was shaky on having, um, where to put Moro in the top 10, but the biggest question mark I had was with the last spot in the top 10. And I had about five different guys in it. It was Noel Gundler for a long time, but he ended up losing out to Tuka Sola. Yep. Um, I don't know if that's the right decision or not, but, uh, you know, he's a highly skilled, smooth skating player. Uh, he's had a couple of good seasons in, uh, in Liga. He's, you know, started there when he was, um, I think he was 18. He started, um, he's an under 20 player. Now, uh, he's one of the top under 20 players in that league. Um, he's loaned back to Carpat for the next season where hopefully he'll get more ice time in a bigger role there. Uh, and then I'm expecting him to come across to North America next year, probably not in the in NHL, but certainly in the American Hockey League. Um, he's got great vision, good deception, soft hands, uh, good top end speed. And there's just a lot to like about this guy. Um, the fact that he didn't make the World Junior roster team when he was eligible for it was concerning. Um, I'm hoping that there is maybe some some politics to that, but uh i don't know is this is this a fair guy to have in the top 10 or or have i dropped the ball here no i i love tx a lot and i will defend him to the death you're you're all good there um nice he he's probably my favorite other than jarvis my favorite player to watch in the hurricane system just because of how fun he is like there's something to be said i mean i'm a sucker for guys like prospects that just make, you know, fun plays. And Tiexla, as an under-20 player in the Liga, was cutting through three guys going to the net and scoring. And there's something to be said about the amount of skill this player has. And he's still very raw and needs a lot of development time. I think he's hurt right now. Um, But the good news is, he was getting second, third line minutes, um, depending on the day when he was in the lineup. So he's going to have time to iron out those mistakes and the little, again, kinks in his game, like his two-way play needs a lot of work. But once he gets to the pros, there's going to be no looking back for him. I think he he reminds me a lot of Tevo Teravainen, again, another Kane's example, but just in how smart he is. Um you're not going to find many players that know exactly where to be and where to place the puck. Um, Skill-wise, I I would even consider putting TX a lot higher. I like him that much, but there is justifiable re- there are justifiable reasons for putting him at ten because everything else about his game is still very raw. Yeah, I mean, I researched a lot of other people's rankings just to kind of make sure I wasn't missing anyone or way off. And with teams like Carolina, it's hard because there's quite a disparity from the rankings. There's other people that have them in like the bottom 15 and other people had them higher than than 10. 
So I was just like, well, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's not a consensus ranking. It's my ranking. I like him. He's going in my top 10. Um, that's kind of the way I saw it. So that rounds out my top 10. Seth Jarvis, number one. Ryan Suzuki, number two. Jack Drury, Jameson Rees, three and four. Joey Keane, the first defenseman at five. Then we go back to forward. I got Dominic Bach at six. Paragolis with Peter Kochkov, Jack LaFontaine. Back to D at number nine, Scott Morrow and Tuka Tixola Ford rounds out my Carolina Hurricanes top 10. There's a decent blend of positional play there. Two goalies, two defensemen, and a bunch of forwards. Um, then we start looking at my honorable mentions. You got time for a couple of those for me, Matt? Yeah. All right. My favorite one. I think he's my favorite one. I really like this player. I own him in a bunch of my hockey leagues. I think he's been a, a sleeper prospect for a few years now uh, coming out of Texas. Maybe that's why uh, played four seasons at Boston college. And he was a kind of a, kind of an unheralded player at BC. Uh, it, there's a couple times I watch games and I watch the bean pot and the announcers that watch those games more often, they were like singing his praises saying how he's contributing to almost all of Boston college's offense. Um, he's a huge player. Um, he had 14 goals as a rookie and led, led Chicago in, in scoring with 14 goals, uh, as a rookie last year, he's 24 years old already. He'll be back in the American hockey league, but I think he might be one of the first players recalled to the roster if they have injuries or, or a need for a player. I just hope he doesn't sit in the press box for a long time. And he's either playing prominent minutes in the American hockey league or or nhl minutes uh do you think he's got any nhl upside he does i just don't know how much i I don't know if he's going to be able to keep up in a top nine role but i definitely see him at least filling either if not a fourth line role then um maybe maybe a third line role you know he plays a power forward game Mm -hmm. and there's no denying his shot and there's no denying how good of a scorer he is. Um, skating has always kind of been cotton's big question mark. And while it's gotten better over the years, I'm not sure where it stands. Um, his line in the prospect showcase was more of a defensive role. And I wish I got to see more of him in the offensive zone. Um, Cause when I did, I liked what I saw. I, I think this is a, just a guy that's reliable and you can put him pretty much anywhere and he's going to be a scoring threat. I still think he stays in the AHL this year um, just because again, nobody got playing time last year. Right. I think he got maybe 25 games, if I'm not mistaken, something around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so just some extra development time would be nice. Um but again, he, he's another guy, like you said, that could be a call-up option along with guys like Drury, Reese, and maybe even Suzuki if the season goes well. My concern with extra development time for him is he's already 24 years old. So if you give him too much more development time, he won't be a prospect anymore. He'll be a minor leaguer. Um, but hey, if that's the way it shakes out, that's the way it shakes out. I do like his versatility, like you were saying. I think he can... Play him on the wing. You can put him on center. He's good on draws. He's big. He's got offensive upside. He's responsible defensively. Kind of a coach's wet dream that way. Next guy I had outside of my top 10, uh, Vasily Ponomareov. The Russian offensive player had a couple really nice seasons playing in the Quebec Major Junior League with Schwinnigan. 
Uh, so he's already, you know, adjusted to North American lifestyle and food and culture and all that. Um, but despite the fact that he played two seasons in the queue, uh, unsigned by the Canes and is loaned over to the KHL. Um, actually, he started in the VHL, but now he's in the KHL and he's getting like less than two minutes a game. He had one game where he had a lot of minutes. And then after that, it's been, you know, there's been games where he had like five seconds of ice time. It's if that's what his whole season is going to be, that's why I have him out of my top 10 prospects. I just hate how in 19, 20 year old players go over and play in the KHL and get next to no minutes. It's, I think it's a worst case scenario, quite frankly. Uh, it's, you know, it's slightly better than losing an entire season to injury because at least you get to practice with the team. Um, but I think he's got the upside to be inside the top 10. I just don't like his current situation. Yeah. There's something to be said about wanting to play in a better league because I think that he did all he could in the queue um, with, with the way he plays. Um, he, he needs more of a challenge and he needs to, he's a, he's a solid two-way presence, right? Again, another player that can, you can plug in anywhere in your lineup and he's going to do well. Um, but again, like you said, you know, averaging two minutes a night, getting five seconds of ice time. Sometimes it's frustrating. I don't know how much he played the other day, but I know they brought him up from the VHL to be their 13th forward. And I just, this is a kid that I like. I think I had him just outside of my top 10 too, because I like what he brings. I think that the style he plays fits the hurricane system to a T it's just, you know, the VHL is fine and he's playing against men, but I do kind of worry that it's not enough for me to justify bringing him over to the KHL. But I like the prospect. I just hate that he's, you know, kind of the extra guy for uh, his KHL team. Yeah. All right. So I mentioned Noel Gundler a little earlier and he did not make my top 10. And I think that might be the player whose name outside of the top 10 raises the most eyebrows and have people say, what are you talking about? This guy doesn't know anything. Am I totally out to lunch having Gunler outside the top 10? If it was a top 11, I'm pretty sure Gunler would be the 11th player. But um, as it is, I have him on the outside. He's, uh, he's a gunslinger. He's a goal scorer. And that's a huge thing. But my concern with him is I'm not sure that's going to translate at the NHL level ever because I find him to be dependent on his teammates to set him up. Now, when that happens, look out, he's got a great shot, right? And he's got a, a, a great innate ability to find open ice. His release is quick. He doesn't need, you know, he doesn't have a musket. He doesn't need to, you know, put the pellet, stuff the barrel, cock the hammer, point, aim and shoot. Like it's, it's gone. He can rip that off and it's a dangerously well-placed shot. Um, what else does he do is what I'm, struggling to see and uh i think there might be some off ice concerns with this player too um did, would gunner make your top 10 uh he was number 11 actually <laughs> like you yeah we we great minds um he is so the hurricanes did their homework uh, another prospect that i am pretty high on jesper selgren um played with him in his draft year and had nothing but great things to say about Gunler as a person. So the character issues for me, I think, stem from when he was a kid. And just he, 
players are cocky, right? You know, when, when you're good as a, as a kid, you're, you're going to be a little cocky. And so I think, I think those aren't the concerns that I have. The, the concern that I have is like you said, what does he do when his teammates aren't really good? And we kind of saw that with, you know, when he was getting fourth line minutes um, in the SHL and then this past year when he was playing on a kind of weaker team. Now that he's on the second line, I think he's fine and his team is scoring. Um, I'm hoping to see a little more from him this year because I like the prospect. But like you said, I, I don't think you're skill alone, and, and again, like Bach, skill alone, you could put Goonler in your top five, and I'd agree with you, right? But with everything else, at the same time, I'm like, man, I don't know if I can put him in the top ten right now. You know, he he, he kind of, in some ways, a player he reminds me of. And when I say his name, people are going to be like, oh, my God, you're crazy. And you don't have him in your top ten. You're stupid. Um, but it's Brett Hall. When Brett Hall didn't have the puck on his stick shooting you know, what was he doing? Not very much, but he had the ability to get open and just to be in the perfect spot at the perfect time. And he didn't need anything to get his shot off. And it was about as dangerous a shot as the NHL has ever seen. Um, so, you know, maybe he's got poor man, Brett Hull's upside potential. And, you know, last time I looked, that'd be, that'd be all right. I'm sure Carolina would be pleased as punch if he was a poor man, right. Hall, if they had an Adam Oates to play with them. Um, right. all right. So after Noel Gunler, uh, I, these are not in really any order. Patrick Pustola or Pustola. Uh, he's a sniper and he's not really been scoring very well playing in the Liga. Uh, he lit it up for Finland at the world juniors showing, you know, against the, his elite peer group that he's a highly skilled offensive player. He's just not doing it at the legal level. Is that because he's outmatched there or he's got limited playing roles? He's a player that, you know, you need to see progression from prospects from year to year. And I'm not seeing any of that from him. And he is just sliding down their depth chart um, rapidly. Yeah. Um, it, it, this is a little telling, but Pistola is a guy that I didn't rank in my top 20. Because go. of the lack of progression I've seen from him. Um, the past two years his first year I was willing to give him a little bit of grace because he was on a team whose coach refuses to play U20 skaters in a top nine role and then he went to a team that was one of the league's worst last year and fails to make any sort of impact and doesn't even get invited to any world junior camps after being one of the top players in the entire tournament. So it's a concern. Um, it's a, it's a big concern. He actually just terminated his deal today um, with, at the time of recording, at least um, with JYP and signed with Eucharit, um to play so he's moving from one bad team to another. So hopefully this will work out for him. But I just haven't seen anything that convinces me that he has the ability to hang at that level right now, which is a concern to say the least. Yeah, yeah. I think it's time to move on from this file and, and this player. Uh, another guy who I think would be easy to slide into the top 10 and is a he's on the rise. He's going the opposite direction of Pustola is uh, 
Zion Nybeck, another goal scoring winger. Um, I think his skating is why I have him outside of the top 10 here, but um, you know, skating is a correctable deficiency in a lot of cases. Luca Robitaille was um, dubbed as a terrible skater. And at, you know, his draft time, people were saying he won't make it to the NHL because he's not a good enough skater. Well, he solved that. No problem. Ended up going on to become like the NHL's all time left wing leading scorer for, I think Ovechkin must've passed him by now, but um, this is a player I have outside my top 10. Maybe he's like 11th or 12th, maybe. Um, but next year, I think he could be in like the top five. Yeah, given the fact that he's now playing um, in the Swedish second league, I think this will be a good opportunity for him to not only get more ice time, but to grow as a player. Um, he, Like you said, he does need to get faster and the offensive potential is there. And I think he's a little better in the defensive zone than I think people give him credit for. He was in a depth role at the World Juniors, and I thought he did a fine job. You know, and maybe that was just Sweden's system, but I think he fit that system pretty well. So if it does work out, um, you know, I think I think I agree. We could see him shoot up into the top 10. And then the next couple of guys I had just outside uh, were... 21 draft picks. They had three players. They didn't have a first round pick, but they had three second round picks, 40, 44, and 51. Uh, we already covered Scott Morrow, who was their top pick at 40. Uh, then they went with uh, defenseman Alexi Himosami. Um, he's an offensive defenseman. He's got a good shot. And then they went with uh, Vili Koivinen. Um, very underrated player, a big sleeper in, in the rankings. I think he could be someone to really keep an eye on in your fantasy leagues. If, if he's still available and you're in deeper leagues, uh, he had 10 points in seven games at the U18 going into the draft here. Uh, he's a rookie in, in, in the league right now. So hopefully he is able to find some ice time there. He's already got uh, a pair of goals in the first couple of games. He can score. He can make plays. He's got great vision. He's got a high compete level. He's a good skater. He checks all my boxes. Um, I think maybe they, their best second round pick might be the guy they got third overall, in my opinion. What do you think of these guys? Yeah. Once Koivinen gets faster, this is a guy that's going to be on a fast track to the NHL, given how skilled and how smart he is. And the fact that he's one of the hardest workers on the ice. Um his stride is average right now, but I think that his work ethic makes up for what might be considered a deficiency by some scouts. And so Koivinen's the type of player, I mean, as an 18-year-old, he's breaking in on one of the best Liga teams and already seeing third-line minutes, which is awesome. I like Koivinen. I think that once he fine-tunes a few things, he's an NHL player. Now, same with Himasalmi. I'm very impressed with his two-way play. I think that he is starting to come into his own in terms of confidence with the puck because the things he can do with the puck are magical. And once he's able to do that on a more consistent basis, both of these players should be NHL players, I think. So... I like all three of our second round picks. Really, there weren't many picks in 2021 that I didn't like, in all honesty. 
Yeah, well, uh, we do like their drafting. Speaking of which, the they went with a goalie in the third round, um, a guy called Patrick Hammerla, uh, Czech goalie. He's going to be playing in the Quebec Major Junior League this year. Um, but he turned some heads at their development showcase camp, prospect showcase, whatever it was called, uh, just recently. And I think uh, your Twitter account was uh, was really tooting this guy's horn. So tell me what you what you like about him. I hadn't ever seen this kid play. I didn't know who he was when we drafted him, right? And I'm usually pretty in tune with that, but I'm the Czech League isn't really on my radar because we don't draft a ton of them. But I saw him play very athletic. I mean, he moves incredibly well. Um, very active, <laughs> kind of likes to play the puck a little bit. He reminds me of Peter Morazic in a lot of ways. Um, which Leafs fans, you know, get to know him. He's fun. I I like him. I, I think that he, I call him happy feet. Like when, when a goalie tends to drift and get out of position, that's very much happy feet. And that's kind of what Hammerla is right now. But he's athletic enough to make up for that. And I think getting some time in the QMJHL where he can, play in one consistent league as opposed to three different levels in one year. I think that's going to do a lot for him. I was very impressed. Yeah, there's a couple import goalies in the CHL this year that I'm going to want to keep my eye on. And, and he's definitely one of them. And the other one is in my backyard here in Kingston with uh, uh, Levi Merrillinen, uh, Ottawa Senators prospect. So uh, looking forward to those guys. Uh, one last guy I want to talk about, Stelio Mateos. Uh, kind of swept under the rug, maybe a little bit forgotten. His career has just been derailed by injuries and a battle with cancer. And, you know, his, his life's been a country song. Um, but it sounds like he's, you know, if he's got his health back together and there'll be more playing time uh, for their prospects in Chicago this year, not splitting affiliation, he's a player I think that might be worth kind of keeping an eye on, you know, um, I could see him getting his game back. He's always been pretty skilled. Uh, he's a bit of an agitator. I think his offensive upside is is limited, um, even at the American Hockey League level. But I could see him maybe rebounding and, and getting back into you know fantasy relevant conversation. Like this is a guy who, if you're in a deep deep league, you could stash him away in your your prospect bench and and then see where he plays himself next year. If he can work himself onto the NHL roster um, and then, you know, play a, a bottom six role where if you've got my, you know, bangers and, and hits categories and whatnot, this is a contract year for him. He'll be an RFA. So he'll be playing for a contract. Maybe he moves on to another organization that doesn't have quite the log jam of, of skaters that Carolina has. Um, maybe Ron Francis would be familiar with him and finds his way to Seattle, something like that, where it'd be easy for him to, to crack the roster there. Uh, do you think there's a chance that he could have a, a bit of a, a renaissance season here? I think he will. Um, this is the first season where he hasn't had an injury yet. So you know, <laughs> obviously, you know, I, I don't want to jinx that. So I, I knocked on wood here, but um, he's a good all around player. I don't think there's one thing that he does that's elite, if that makes any sense, but there's nothing about him that's bad. I think 
he's a very good agitator. He'll get under your skin. I loved his physical game. And so I think, I think there's a lot to like about him and his NHL odds. Well, that's pretty much all the players that I had that I thought were fantasy relevant or, or worthy of consideration for the top 10. Um, do you have any players that, uh, that we haven't talked about yet that you want to throw their name in the hat or in the ring? The one guy we haven't talked about that I think we need to is Alexander Nikishin. And this is his third season in the KHL, and he turns 20, I think, next week. And right now he's averaging about 18 minutes of ice time per game. Offensively, you're going to have to wait a few years on him, but he's the type of player that I think has the confidence to play on the power play, even though he's labeled as a physical, gritty kind of two-way guy. He loves to press up in the play. And this is a player that I, I think once he once his KHL contract expires, I think in 2024, you're going to see him step into an NHL lineup immediately. So my insider information, I guess, would be to pick this guy up as soon as possible because I, I don't think you're going to get – I mean, you're guaranteed to at least get one to two hits per game from him because his nickname is literally Boom. <laughs> it's it's fantastic um i mean you're seeing him at, at 18 years old he was knocking people on their ass in the second best league in the world it's insane I, I i love him i think he's a player that i wasn't sure about ranking in the top 20 but given all of his upside i had to put him in there nice i like these uh sleeper Deep sleeper prospects that you know, I'm getting one out of all my guests for each one of these episodes and it's players that I don't really have a file on. So, you know, at the very least, I hope it's helpful for the listeners, but at the very least it's helping me. Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and if, at the end of the day, right. That's, that's what matters. All right. Uh, Matt, thank you very much for this. I've appreciated your time. Do you got anything coming up that you want to, uh, that you want to talk about? Anything you want to share that's, that's uh, you're excited about releasing or anything? Yeah, so um, I am a co-host on the Tracking the Storm podcast um, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We we cover mostly the Carolina Hurricanes, but we do talk about topics around the NHL. Um, this week's episode was very Canes focused with the preseason starting and um, you know just a few other happenings. And next week we're having Hurricanes assistant GM uh, Eric Tolsky on, so that's going to be pretty cool. And um, my prospects work can be found on uh, SB Nation's Canes Country. Right on. And your Twitter handle, uh, one more time, is at Canes Prospects, C-A-N-E-S Prospects. Thanks very much, Matt. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoy the show. If you do, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Throw me a five-star review. Like it. Do all that fun stuff. Share it on social media. I will love you forever. Uh, next episode coming up is going to be on the Chicago Blackhawks top 10 prospects. I got to line up a guest for that. And then that'll be a good one too. Thanks for listening, everyone. Keep your stick on the ice.